Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And this is the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now before we get started, I want to let everybody know that we are going to have our own channel for Orange and Brown Talk here coming up on iTunes, on Google Play. That's going to get set up for us here uh, very shortly. So keep an eye out for that. We'll put some information uh, as we post these on the site at cleveland.com. So check that out. If you uh, like this podcast and want to keep getting it on your phone, that's the way to do it. You can still subscribe to the other channel. There's still some stuff there. But our podcast is going to be on its own channel, like the Ohio State podcast, the Cavs podcast, Indians podcast, check out all of those, but definitely check out our new iTunes channel as well. Absolutely. We are big time, Dan. (laughs) I guess. Uh, So let's get to it. Let's get to the front office. Um, John Dorsey has basically brought in his staff. Uh, Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf, those are the highlights. Uh, Added a little bit to the scouting department. Moved Ken Kovash to work under Paul D. Podesta. Andrew Berry is still in as a vice president of player personnel. Um, Just your kind of initial thoughts on the staff that John Dorsey has put together. Well, you know what? It's really heavy on the scouting side. It's talent evaluation first. And I think that was the missing piece in the analytics-driven front office under Sashi Brown. So they've really beefed that side of it up. They really needed to do that. I mean, you cannot... Uh, you cannot acquire players without people at the very highest levels who know what they're looking at on film. I think it's vitally important. So they have solved that problem. Then the other thing that uh, that really stands out to me is that Elliot Wolf was someone uh, that people were talking to for GM jobs, mm-hmm. uh, including the um, including the Packers. I mean, the Packers interviewed for him for GM. Now they passed him over for the GM job because the guy that they hired had more scouting experience on the college side. He was more on the pro side like Andrew Berry uh, came up in. Uh, but I do think that it's significant that, you know, that he, you know, that he came here, he chose this over the Raiders. I think that's a good sign for the program. I also, I also think it means that, uh, you know, guys like that look at this draft and they see the number one pick, the number four pick, four picks in the first 35, five in the first 60, and they see that this could be a career maker. And so much cap space. Yep. And, and listen, the guys from Green Bay know yep. you have a quarterback, a yep. franchise quarterback, it changes everything. We saw what Green Bay looked like when Brett Hundley was playing. Yep. I mean, they, they came to Cleveland, and the Browns almost beat them. The Browns should have beaten them. So it is all about the quarterback, and these guys know they're going to have an opportunity to not only get their quarterback, and we'll get into this later, but get their quarterback, and also if they need to, they have enough money to sign a veteran. Yeah. They can they can completely remake this roster over the next you know three or four months. Yeah, and they will. They will do that. They will sign, acquire, trade for whatever a veteran 
quarterback because no one in this organization, the fans, the players, the front office, the coaches, no one can stomach a bunch more losing. And you just, even if you pick your guy number one overall, which I'm sure they will, either Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, you can't necessarily count on them starting right away. Now, some guys are ready to start right away. Uh, Carson Wentz was ready to start right away. Deshaun Watson was ready to start right away. So, you know, they could have a guy that is ready to start right away, which also brings them uh, into a little bit of a dilemma. Because do you go and throw a ton of money at an Alex Smith uh, or a Kirk Cousins when you are going to draft a quarterback number one overall? Or do you go for more of a bridge-type quarterback? And I would consider that to be more of a Sam Bradford and A.J. McCarron type of a guy. Uh, but it does put them in a little bit of an interesting situation. Yeah, let's you know what, let, let, let's go there now. So, since we kind of started talking about it, let, let's call a little audible here and let's talk about some of these veteran sure. quarterbacks. And you know, so Alex Smith, of course, is a guy who um, you know the Chiefs could either trade him or cut him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be a lot of suitors for him, right? And you know, if they trade him, it costs like a second round pick for John Dorsey to get him from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But now you've got, you know, Jacksonville might be looking for a quarterback, and that's kind of their missing piece. They could give up their first-round pick. They don't need their first-round pick. Right. Uh, there's some other teams that could give up a first-round pick for a guy like Alex Smith. The Browns right. are not giving up one or four for no. him. They're going to pile into those second-round picks. Right. Um, he would be ideal, mm-hmm. but he's also a one-year rental unless he signs an extension. And it, I don't know if they can get him. Yeah, like you said, uh, there will be uh, a lot of suitors for him, and in a trade situation, uh, you know, some someone might be willing to give up a lot for him. And if you are going to pick a quarterback number one overall, and again, I firmly believe that they will, uh, you know, what are you going to be willing to give up for a guy like that? The other thing that I think is vitally important here is that your veteran quarterback has to somewhat match up with your rookie quarterback. You do not want to spend one year. Building your offense around, you know, a certain type of a quarterback, and then you're going to blow that up and and go towards a completely different kind of quarterback the next year. So you want to kind of just keep the seat warm for the rookie for whenever he's ready to start. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of where Kirk Cousins comes in, too, because this is a guy that if you acquire him, you're giving him a lot of money. You're probably going to guarantee a lot of money. You're gonna pl- if you acquire Kirk Cousins to me, that's your guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even a Mike Glennon situation. Right. This, if you go and sign Kirk Cousins, you're signing him to be your guy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean he's going to sign a contract in the whatever. I'm not exactly sure, but somewhere in the in the high twenties a year, probably multi year contract like that. Now, unless you were really in love with him and ready to commit to him as your starter for the next four years, he's basically going to be off your list because. You know, I I do firmly believe that they will look out at this quarterback class and find their quarterback of the future, uh, and they will take that guy number one overall. And therefore, I don't think they're going to want to pay a Kirk Cousins twenty six million dollars a year for the next four years. Yeah. So, so your other options, of course, all of Minnesota's quarterbacks are headed for free agency, and kind of the name that everyone keeps th- it keeps kind of gaining traction is. Chase Daniel, which is a little strange, but you go back, you find that Peter King story after John Dorsey got hired, and he mentions shorter quarterbacks. He mentions Russell Wilson, and he mentions Chase Daniel. Yeah, now the only thing that we have to remember here is that Hugh Jackson will have a larger yes. role in, in whoever they bring in at quarterback. And he doesn't really like those shorter guys. He has a prototype, it starts at six foot two. And uh, you're going to have to really knock his socks off uh, if you're going to go below that. 
you know, as he says, there are outliers, uh, but for the most part, uh, those guys are few and far between when it comes to being wildly successful. So let, let's get back to this front office and, and kind of how they're going to work with Hugh Jackson now, because none of these guys really are tied to Hugh Jackson. Um, I, I think there's a, a fan sentiment out there that this is a one-year deal with Hugh Jackson, and this time next year the Browns are going to be looking for a head coach. Is, is that jumping the gun? You know what? I do think it's jumping the gun somewhat because it's my understanding that that Hugh Jackson was in on the process of John Dorsey's hiring, that this was someone that that he was excited about. And, you know, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, you know, that this is the guy he wanted. Uh, but I, I do think that it's somebody that, um, you know, that, that he was in on it. I, I think that at a certain point in the season – Jimmy Haslam basically said, Hugh Jackson's going to be my guy, and I'm going to find a way to make this work for him. And I think, you know, we saw that when they were together on the field with A.J. McCarron. We saw that when they had a meeting with the the Players Mm -hmm. Leadership Council. Sashi was not in that. It was the Haslams and Hugh. So I think there is something going on there between the Haslams and Hugh Jackson. I think that they believe in him still. And... um, and I think that, that John Dorsey was kind of brought in to help him and compliment him. That's the way that it seems to me from the outside looking in right now. Now, who knows if it'll turn out that way, but that's the way they're heading into it. And, and the thing is, John Dorsey is going to have the ability. I mean, he's, got, he's kind of got the power in this situation. Mm-hmm. If, if this thing does kind of go awry early on, he probably has Jimmy Haslam's ear at this point more than Sashi Brown would have or, or something like that. I think he's got a little bit of a – he's the new guy. He's been given a lot of power. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, Hugh Jackson still reports to Jimmy Haslam, but I, I'd imagine Dorsey would certainly have his ear if he wanted to make a change. Yeah, and speaking of having Jimmy Haslam's ear, let's get into this uh, whole piece of this thing, Dan. I firmly believe right now that it's getting a little too crowded in the front okay. office. Uh, you know, I think you. what happened is they kept the whole entire Sashi Brown regime, except for Sashi Brown, okay? <laughs> so, you know, they cut off the, the, the top, you know, rung of the business flowchart there with Sashi Brown and left everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that that sets up well. I just don't think that it's aligned right now in the way that it needs to be, okay? You've got to let John Dorsey kind of build the personnel department the way that he sees fit and the way that he needs to. And in his world, analytics complements the traditional mode of football. You've got a whole building full of analytics people, which is fine if that's the way you're going, but they're not going that way anymore. And I've said this on many occasions. I think that Paul DePodesta is now overqualified for the job that he's in. And unless you're really going to, to change what he does and how he does it, I don't see how he's a fit anymore. If your chief strategy officer is all about analytics and you're not all about analytics anymore, then I think something's got to give there. Then you move on to Andrew Barry. Andrew Barry, really great young personnel executive, very well thought of in the Browns organization and outside of the Browns organization. But how does he fit now? He was a Sashi Brown guy, Mm -hmm. hired by Sashi Brown. How does he fit here now that you've got two other well, actually, one other vice president of player personnel in Alonzo Highsmith, and then you've got an assistant GM above <laughs> him in Elliot Wolf. It just, you know, and again, Ken Kovash, who was vice president of player personnel, has transitioned over to more, you know, the strategy side, whatever that is. So I just think there's too many cooks in the kitchen right now and too many people in Jimmy Haslam's ear. 
here's kind of what this setup screams to me. And, and this is what I... I mean, I think a lot of people feel like this, and I kind of feel like this now. Now that we've seen that Elliot Wolf has come in, Alonzo Highsmith has come in, Andrew Berry's still in the organization, it just feels like what Jimmy Haslam should have done mm-hmm. was say, John Dorsey, you're my team president. Right. He should have put that layer, and he doesn't want to do that. He, he should have put that layer between himself and the football side of things. Yes. And then this structure makes a lot of sense, and maybe that's where this ends up in a, in a few years. Maybe. But right now, that's that's not where it is. You know what? I actually thought that it might end up that way over the last few days. Yeah. Because I thought maybe in order for them to get Elliot Wolf to come here, that they were going to have to you know, maybe make him the GM. So I was wondering how they were going to be going about this. But they made it work by making him assistant GM. Uh, again, the people that are reporting directly to Jimmy Haslam and D. Haslam are Paul D. Podesta, John Dorsey, and Hugh Jackson. <laughs> I think it's too many people reporting to Jimmy. Yeah. And I still think, and I've said this before, I still don't think really necessarily anybody should be reporting to Jimmy except for that president. I still think there's a, another missing piece right at the top somebody who has run a successful organization before that these people should be answering to. I think it's a tough job for Jimmy Haslam. Now he's got three people and, you know, he's got to break these ties or make sure that these aren't turning into factions and make sure they're all working together. I don't know. There still are uh, some flaws in the business model, in my opinion. Yeah, and we haven't really seen the ability from Haslam to do that. But that's the real problem. If maybe we looked at Jimmy Haslam and said, okay, you know, he's handled these situations in the past. He didn't allow the Ray Farmer and Mike Pettin situation to melt down. He didn't allow the Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown situation. We, we can't say that. Right. So that's the problem. If you had a stronger owner that you trusted could break these ties and say, no, what John Dorsey says goes or what Hugh Jackson says goes, I think it, it would be a little easier to feel better about this structure. Exactly. So, um, again, now, sometimes more changes come after the draft. Yeah. So maybe what they're trying to do is let the dust settle a little bit And then after the draft, that's maybe when John Dorsey will make more of his moves. And then we will see some of the other guys uh, leave the personnel department. Because right now, again, it's too analytics heavy. There's just too many people from the Sashi Brown regime still in it. Now, again, it's not that they're uh, not great at what they do, because they are. But if that's not your primary mode of operation, you don't need all those people. Yeah, because you have all these people that have been scouting these college kids and these prospects, Andrew Barry, of course, heavily right. involved in that aspect of things. Yeah. Um, so, so that's certainly all things to keep an eye on as this plays out. Yeah. And you know, another thing about that is like, I, like we said before about Andrew Barry, he is so widely respected um, in league circles that, you know, that I could see another team, uh, you know, being interested in him. And one team that I mentioned in one of my stories was, was the giants. I mean, they're going to be looking for some people in their personnel department and, uh, you know, they know about Andrew Barry and, you know, that's a team that, you know, keep an eye on them if it comes you know, time, you know, for him to go somewhere. Okay, so coaching. Uh, I guess the, the big news, this most surprising piece of news that we've gotten on the coaching front as we await the offensive coordinator hire is Chris Tabor is no longer the special teams coordinator of the Cleveland Browns, which is something that he has survived coaching staff after coaching staff. But he will go to Chicago and take a job there. That, that of course, is where he came from. Um, So Chris Tabor will not be holding his Friday press conferences this year. Yeah, I mean, he was the Teflon Don. (laughs) I mean, no matter what happened, he was still standing. So uh, that was kind of a surprise to us last night. But the Browns gave him permission, meaning, you know, they felt a change was necessary there. And I think there will be other uh, somewhat significant changes on this staff. I think, um, you know, I think that 
when Hugh Jackson hires his offensive coordinator, that guy will probably want to bring in uh, some of his own people. So, you know, there are more changes to come, and that's a reason why they decided not to coach the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and, uh, you know, with Tabor, the special teams this year just weren't very good. I I hate to put that all on him because, you know, when your roster is bad and there's injuries that that start to happen, you're pulling from the bottom of that roster. And that that can make life difficult as a special teams coach. But, uh, I mean, he... He'd kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit. I mean, the, the shelf life of a special teams coach, unless your team is wildly successful, just isn't that long. Yeah, you know, I think it was a, a time for a change of scenery for mm-hmm. both sides. I think it, Chris probably felt like he had been here for enough, and it was time for him to get back to Chicago where he's worked before. Uh, he's probably very, very excited about that. And again, like you said, it was difficult uh, to to field a special teams with a lot of really, really young guys that um, – you know, that just didn't have enough experience to get the job done the right way. He is, uh, he is one of the good guys, though, in the organization. And yep. uh, we spent many Fridays getting to the facility early so we could yep. listen to his press conferences. Hopefully, the next special teams coach prefers uh, late afternoon press yes, conferences. Absolutely. <laughs> um, any news on the, uh, the offensive coordinator search? You know, no news yet. Um, but I do think that we will hear other names. I mean, we heard about Sean Ryan, but... Hugh Jackson has basically said that he would turn over the play calling to an experienced guy, somebody that's done it before. And Sean Ryan hasn't done it before. So I don't know if that would necessarily be a fit. I think it's also an opportunity for Sean Ryan uh, to stick with a Deshaun Watson. And, you know, that's a great opportunity for quarterbacks, coaches to have a guy like that. That makes careers for you when you can work with a guy like that. So I don't know if that one's going to work out. I think that we will hear some other names, and I think we will uh, probably hear those names sooner than later. Um, And as far as Ken Zampezi is concerned, the former Bengals offensive coordinator that Hugh Jackson worked with there, uh, I never heard that that he was, um, you know, up for offensive coordinator right at the outset, that that would become something uh, that could be determined uh, if he didn't get some of the other top people on his list to come in here and be coordinator, that Ken is more in line for an offensive assistant post of some sort. Um, But that could change depending on who Hugh can or can't get. Okay, the last thing we're going to get to is the uh, the rookie quarterbacks. We mentioned the Browns with that number one pick. Um, I, I'm still kind of leaning to them taking Sam Darnold. Uh, have you have you kind of gotten to a point where you like a certain guy right now, or is it still too early? You know what? For me, it's still too early, Dan, because uh, you know I haven't really had an opportunity to really uh, dig in and watch a significant amount of film yet. Um, what I'm doing is talking to experts and talking to people who have watched some of that film. Uh, and it's just a weird situation, <laughs> isn't it? Because, yes, it is. you know, it's almost like there is not one clear cut number one guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, people are somewhat divided on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Most people think that those are the top two guys, although I see that Dane Brugler um, is, is picking Mason Rudolph. Okay. That's, that's one that I haven't heard yet. So I, that, I mean, I obviously know who he is, but that's one that I, I haven't heard as a number one pick. I know, and then I have a guy that thinks Josh <laughs> Allen is the number yeah. one pick, and he he has told me, and this is somebody who last year told me that the Browns in 2016 had to pick Carson Wentz, and if they did, they would be set for the next 15 years. Now he's saying the same thing about Josh Allen, <laughs> which nobody is thinking that. But here's what happens: once you get to the Senior Bowl and the NFL starts getting their eyes on these players, particularly the coaches, Mm -hmm. that's when you start uh, to see the difference in evaluation. 
that's when these guys start to uh, to start to fall in order on the draft board. Until that happens, until the NFL speaks, yeah, you don't really know where these guys are ranked. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we didn't mention Baker Mayfield. Right. He's a guy when you watch him. Yep. He's really good. I mean, he's I a know. really good quarterback. But yeah, that would be a, a gigantic risk to take that guy number one overall. Yeah. You know what? I'm very interested to get to the Senior Bowl and to talk to as many scouts and coaches as I can about their thoughts on Baker Mayfield and to talk to Baker Mayfield and to watch him, to watch the footwork, to watch how the ball comes out, to watch how he's coached, to watch his attitude, face of the franchise ability, see how big he looks or big or small he looks. Um, so, you know, it's really a great way to, to start to, to dig in and, and see how these guys are going to shake out. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is they are all different types. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we mentioned Mayfield. Yep. You know, kind of that short... Uh, I, mean, I don't want to say short. I mean, he's probably six foot. Yeah. Um, shorter than ideal for a quarterback. Right. Um, but again, accurate. Mm-hmm. Has a lot of the tools to be a really good quarterback yep. if, if he can overcome the height. Sam Darnold's kind of that raw prospect. You're, you're drafting on upside. Josh right. Rosen... Looks like a franchise quarterback when right. you just watch him. Yep. Um, I, I mean, when you see him, he, he's mm-hmm. got the height, he's got the build. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you have guys like Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph, Josh Allen. Yes. I, I mean, th- there's so many different types in, in this whole quarterback class. Yeah, there really are. And, you know, we head into this uh, being pretty much convinced that the Browns will take one at number one overall. And I still think that will happen. Um, but, you know, it just with, with, all the good ones right around the top, all the ones that you just mentioned, it does leave open the possibility, uh, you know, that perhaps they could look at something at number four too. I don't think that'll happen because you risk losing your guy. Yeah. I still think they will just take the guy at number one. But you know, it's just it's an interesting quarterback class. I'm I'm very uh, you know almost excited to go through this process <laughs> and just try to you know see. Uh, how this is all going to play out. Yeah, it's fun that there's not a surefire number one. For yeah. the Browns, I'm sure they wish there was like a surefire guy. They, I'm sure they wish there was a Peyton Manning yeah. or, uh, or something like that. Or I mean, Ryan even, Leaf. There was even a debate. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, there was even a debate when Peyton Manning came exactly. out. So I'm, I'm sure they wish there was a, a surefire guy. But no, there isn't, and, and that makes it interesting. And depending on what type of quarterback you like, there's probably a guy for you there. Yeah, and most of the time, when you go number one and number two with the quarterbacks, usually... They're not both that successful, but you know there is recent history for this, and that, and it, it looks like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz are shaping up to both be good. Yeah. So you know, hopefully, you can't go wrong in this draft either. Well, and then you know, Deshaun Watson might be very good, and Pat Mahomes might be very good. We're right. going to get a chance to see him. We haven't even you know Mitch Trubisky, and yes, that could end up being a very good quarterback class. Yeah. So hopefully, this quarterback class for the Browns will live up to what the last couple have. Yeah. At this point. Obviously, last year it's still so early in a lot of these guys, but yeah, and but you know what, Dan? That's the funny thing about these quarterback classes is that until you actually get to the class, you don't know how it's going yeah. to turn out. You don't know who's going to come out. Now, Darnold and Rosen obviously both uh, you know said they're coming out. Lamar Jackson's coming out, so the the class is as strong uh, from a you know bodies standpoint as we all thought it would be. But then you have to factor in things like you know that you hear a report. That Josh Rosen, you know, would rather go to the Giants than the Browns. And those are things that you don't factor in when you head into a draft like this. Yeah, and there's things we're just not going to know. I mean, Baker Mayfield, is. there was a report that he was maybe considering not hiring an agent, which is yeah. interesting. I mean, 
NFL people look at these things, and they're going to get to interview these guys, and they're going to know things about these guys that we may never know. And I, now, having said what I just said about Josh Rosen in that report, I've heard so far that that's not true, and that he he would be absolutely one hundred percent fine coming to the Browns. I'm trying to get you know those words to come out of his mouth, <laughs> uh, but that might not happen until the combine or, yeah. or shortly before. So you will be at the Senior Bowl in a few weeks in Mobile. Uh, Baker Mayfield will be there. Josh Allen will be there. So you'll get a firsthand look at those guys, as will the Browns, who will be there not coaching, but at least doing their their homework on these guys. Uh, It's going to be... Should should be interesting. It will be interesting, and we will have it all for you on Cleveland.com. Yeah, we'll do podcasts and everything. Thanks for listening, everybody.